Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Don't shop it. Don't stop it short on account of me. I'm sorry, fellas. No, I'm kidding. Uh, well, Merry Christmas. Great to see all of you this afternoon. You're the ones with big plans, I know, you got to get to them, three o'clock. Well, listen, uh, this year, I'm a grandfather. I have three granddaughters. Uh, Two of them will have their first Christmas, one of them will have her second, and so together it will be very much like a first Christmas with them. And your family grows, I, I, I realize that there's so much more to do. You know, we have four boys, it was enough. But now you have grandkids, and, uh, and something I realized this year was that uh, I actually did as little as I normally do every year. It didn't increase at all with the in- And so I guess it struck me, really, for the first time, seeing how hard my, my wife had to work, that, uh, uh, that we wouldn't have Christmas if it wasn't for the ladies in the room right now. Is that not true or what? <laughs> I got to tell you, there would be no food because we wouldn't have thought about it. Uh, there would be literally no gifts, definitely no stockings filled because, like, I don't even care about stockings. Uh, my wife fills her own. Does your wife fill your, her own stocking? Yeah, you've never put anything in a stocking. It's remarkable. And then God knows there'd be no Christmas cards. I got a bunch this year. Did you get a bunch? There'd be no Christmas card. If there wasn't females in the world, they would would never happen. I got a a text from someone uh, yesterday, actually, from, uh, it was a little, uh, just a little statement in the text, a little picture of something that Larry the Cable Guy said. He says, here's how you can tell your friends have let themselves go. They stop appearing in their own Christmas cards. (laughs) And it's just their kids. And then he says, my own cousin's family has gotten so, you know, out of shape. Their Christmas card is now just the cats. It's just the cats. (laughs) Uh, You know, and no Christmas would be horrible. Uh, It made me think about how Christmas came to be. How did Christmas come to be to begin with? And Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, you saw the verse a couple of times, uh, gives us a pretty clear picture and allows us to see how the wonder of Christmas, the wisdom of Christmas uh, came about. Um, The prophet, like, like all prophets do, we have them even in our own culture. You just look out in the world and you become sort of a prophet yourself when you look out in the world and you just see all that's going on. And he's assessing all the categories of life that we assess, the culture, society, politics, the, the economy, all the things we look at, all of history's always looked at. The people have always looked at. And Isaiah, this is centuries before us, takes a, you know, sort of a uh, looks around at the world and just realizes things are in pretty bad shape. And what he gives us leading up to this idea of Christmas is 
kind of a microcosm. It's a snapshot that ends up being a microcosm of every culture, really. But like a good prophet, he sees through the external chaos and gives a kind of a deep spiritual assessment, if you will, of, of, this, of mankind. And in chapter 8 of Isaiah, you get his, his sort of final assessment before you get to chapter 9, which you've all heard. And what happens is he's assessing that people are exhausting themselves in, uh, uh, of, uh, in every possible way to figure out how to give life meaning, to solve life's biggest problems. There's national issues at the time, international issues like usual, political, uh, personal, there's relational conflict. It's all happening around them. And his assessment sort of gets bundled up in chapter 8, and he says things like this. You will take counsel together. I see you all running together, trying to come up with a, you know, some, t- take your best intellectuals, get, gather all the best wisdom you can to solve life's problems, and it just doesn't work. He says, you'll take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. You'll rely on your intellect. In fact, your intellect. He says, uh, you'll even seek mediums. You'll talk to the dead about what to do with the living. You'll be that desperate for answers. That's the way our world seems to be. Take a snapshot of it at any time. And then another thing he says is, uh, you'll strap on your armor and be shattered. If it isn't the intellect, if wisdom doesn't work, you'll, you'll go with dominance. You'll go with force. You'll go with brute strength and power like we do as humans. We'll either try to think it or force it. And he says, but, but you'll be shattered. It won't be enough either. Our best wisdom, our best power. And then he says, they'll look over the whole earth. They'll go high and low and realize there are, there's really nothing here. We have the same problems today. We could take a snapshot of today and, and say exactly what Isaiah 8 said centuries ago. There's just no answers. And you start, you start to get the feeling that for earth's problems, earth has no answers. I mean, there's just none here. And so uh, he sums it up by this is what you'll feel like after all the effort. You'll be distressed. You'll be hungry, you'll be famished, and you'll just end up in darkness, just darkness. And the verbs he uses in Isaiah 8 get individualized. This is really important. It's almost as if the inability to solve the problems that we see out in the world start to affect us personally, and we feel internally the distress, the hunger, the need, the darkness. In other words, you won't just feel that the world has a problem, generally speaking. Something out there, you can feel it on the inside. The brokenness isn't just around us. It's in us. And that's an incredible realization. One of the, one of the most incredible moments of 2021, which went by really fast and had its ups and downs everywhere, an article that I read in The Guardian that um, sort of sums this up if you want to know what it feels like at the deep personal level with an article uh, where somebody interviewed in, uh, William Shatner. 
he was turning 90. And uh, our congregations heard me say this, but it covered his, you know, career, his incredible career, his loves, his losses, his friendships. Uh, and to avoid asking him at 90 if he was afraid of dying, uh, the uh, interviewer, she asked him, she said, uh, what do you wish you had known at 20 that you know now at 90? And he said, well, I'm actually glad I didn't know. He said, nothing matters in the end. Nothing matters in the end. And it makes me think of Isaiah 8 at the end where Isaiah literally says this at the end of the chapter when he summarizes mankind's problems, and it's become personal. Problem's not just out there, it's in here. You're thrust into a thick darkness. That's a thick darkness to me. In the end, nothing matters. And then he says, this picturesque, they have no dawn. Like there's no hope of morning coming. Uh, part of it is because of their own stubbornness and pride. They're determined to make life work on their own, and they sort of doom themselves to an unending night. No morning ever. And it's against this sort of hopeless backdrop that we get the wonder of Christmas. It's like Isaiah 9, you're like, what is the answer to those problems? And here you get in Isaiah 9, you come to chapter 2, and it says this, the people I'm describing who've walked in darkness are going to see a great light. There's going to come a light. It wasn't a light they could produce. In other words, those who dwell in deep darkness, literally death's shadow, a light has shown. So death's shadow is probably the strongest way to summarize the human dilemma. Like Shatner said, you get to the end and there's just no hope. There's just death ahead. It's the, the essence of the human problem. It's what makes us hunt for meaning. And according to Isaiah, Christmas is the dawn. It's the, it's the answer. It's God entering into our world. Out of nowhere, because it comes in Galilee, which is, which is in, the, in, the, in the biblical days would have been the middle of nowhere, comes this light, unexpected and very undeserved. The people in chapter 8 don't deserve the light. But a light can be seen. You don't develop this light. You don't discover it anywhere, or you don't develop it anywhere on the planet. You don't manufacture it. You discover this light. Hope comes into our reality. We don't create it. It erupts into our world. It's funny. We can't create the light, but you and I are really good at assessing the darkness. We know what doesn't feel right. We know things are wrong. We know there's an emptiness. We know there, no matter how capable we become, we simply have the same problems we've always had. We can assess the darkness, but we cannot create the light to fix it. If you remember in 85 when, the, when uh, Live Aid and, and sort of all the singers of the world, the best singers of the world, the most gifted people came together and sang, you know, we are the, we are the world, we are the people, we are the world. It was sort of a magical choir. Song was written because you could feel a hopelessness 
around the whole world. It was global. And uh, it was one of the most beautiful sounding things because the best singers in the world were singing and they, and they, they, they made this, this line in the song is, we want to create a brighter day. We're looking for light. We're looking for a new day, a morning. And Isaiah says, you have no dawn. There's no morning coming. And that's devastating to human beings. And when you looked at the stage, everyone was trying to muster hope in their faces. I went back and looked at pictures. And there were some interviews done afterwards. Bob Dylan on the stage. It may have just been his face, if you know his face. But he just didn't look that happy. And so afterwards, he was interviewed, okay? And the interviewer noticed it, asked him about it. And this is what he said. Humankind cannot save itself. We're up here singing about a brighter day, and we, we don't have one. And we don't know how to get one. And it, it struck him. It's like one guy in there could feel that with all the hope you could muster, with all the talent you could bring together, we can't solve the problem. To think that Bob Dylan could have been an Old Testament prophet. What a great thing to go into Christmas wondering about. Christmas is the brighter day. And Isaiah 9, 6, one verse gives us almost the very first picture of God's answer to the darkness. And it is Christmas. It's, it's Christmas, and it's the essence of Christianity you get packed into this one verse, like a dense verse, like an atom possessing all this energy that if you could smash it, it would just create all kind of light. That's what Isaiah 9, 6 is. And it starts out like this. Where's the light going to come? And here's what the prophet literally says. You want that light? You want to see a great light? Here's what it is. For, for unto us a child is born. It's a child. And the word child is emphatic. The mere presence of this child is the hope of that light. It's the light. The most human of all arrivals. Why a child? Well, it's just paradoxical. It's like a slap in the face to human beings. You know, the mature adults who've spent their life combing the earth, you know, using wisdom and power and trying to solve the problem on their own. Let me send you a child. This is God trying to make the plan of redemption as simple as he could make it for human beings. Our best and brightest couldn't do it. And in our self-sufficiency and our arrogance, God becomes small and humble and vulnerable and accessible. In 1 Corinthians, Paul puts it like this, God makes the foolish. God makes foolish the wisdom of the world. This is God's way of saying, I have the answer to this. And it's counterintuitive. Paul goes on to say, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, nor has it entered into the mind of man, God's plan to redeem this world. And every single year, people pass it by. Every single year, they miss it. It's because it's not what you were looking for. It's counterintuitive. 
But you want to know more about Christmas. It wasn't just God's incredible humility to come as a child. It was such a gift. A son is given to us. Not just a child that's born. It's not just any child. It's, a, it's God's son that becomes a gift to us. In other words, whatever you get, whatever the sunlight is, the new day, you didn't earn it. You couldn't have created it yourself. God graciously provides it. What you couldn't achieve, what you couldn't attain. It's the ultimate gift. Paul calls it the unspeakable gift in 1 Corinthians. You say, what is it about this gift? What is it about this child we couldn't figure out in chapter 8? And that's why you get the phrase in the same verse packed in there. What is it about this child and this gift? His name. His name. There are four names given. Jam-packed into the meaning of Christmas into the identity of this child. All highlighting the limitations of humanity. Wonderful counselor. This Christmas gift of my son is the answer that you brought all your intellectuals together to solve. The wisdom you seek. And he calls it wonderful counselor. Wonderful is the idea of really supernatural. In other words, it requires, an ex- it requires God to explain it. You couldn't possibly do it. In other words, we would have never come up with it ourselves. It, it was beyond us. And you know, every single day, you think, uh, in our day and age even more than ever, we're looking for somebody smart to tell us something today. We've got podcasts we gobble up. We are constantly trying, telling our friends, oh, you've got to hear Dr. So-and-so on this. You've got to hear this. And we're just getting information all the time. And a lot of the information is brilliant, and it's great learning, and we need to keep learning. But none of it is the wisdom that solves the human dilemma. But we keep looking for it. The best and brightest among us can't do it. And the wonderful part of the counselor is we're talking about a supernatural kind of information and wisdom that you cannot get anywhere else. And you can look everywhere in the world for something smart. You'll look for something that you'll hear today that'll change the course of your life. And the wisdom of Christmas gets lost. But Isaiah calls it a wonder. And you know what he uses the word wonder for later in Isaiah for? The God's ability to change your heart, supernatural ability. It literally goes like this. Behold, I will do wonderful things with the hearts of this people. With wonder upon wonder. And the wisdom of their wise men will perish. And the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. I will do the supernatural wonderful thing in the human heart. That no one else can do. Mighty God. This child will not only be the best wisdom, but he will be powerful. You say, what kind of power will it be? It'll be humble power. It won't look like the power you're used to seeing or the one you're tempted to muster up. He'll defeat evil, but he'll do it in a way humans would never have thought of. He'll take it upon himself. That's the strength of this God. And later in Isaiah, chapter 53, God says, 
Isaiah says he'll be crushed for, his, for our iniquities. And by his wounds, we will be healed. We have a God who will take on evil, bear our sins, and heal our wounds by taking our sin upon him. And then he'll be an everlasting father. And this speaks to his care and concern. He'll be a great king. He'll be a mighty God, but he'll also be a father. That's what human beings need. And this is God saying, I won't just be smart, and I won't just be strong. I really want to be in relationship with you. And until your heart is in relationship with me, you won't feel that everlasting, that long, ultimate kind of meaning. I'll be that everlasting father to you. The kind that's never-ending, the kind your heart longs for. You know the forever part of your heart that wants that? The forever God says, I'll be able to give you that. My dad, who I'm very close to, love very much, had a stroke a couple months ago. And uh, I saw him, you know, weak, and, and it, it sort of hit me then. He won't be around forever. And it was, it was, it was sobering. Many of you know what it's like to lose your dad. And God is saying, I'll be an everlasting father. You won't ever have to worry about losing my care because I'm going to lose my earthly father. But God says, you won't ever lose that. And then he says, you'll be, and I'll be the prince of peace, packed into this gift. If it wasn't enough already, prince of peace, In other words, I'll be the one who embodies and establishes and executes making the world right. Because peace, shalom, means fulfillment. That's what it means. All things as they're supposed to be. So as everybody in chapter 8 knows, nothing is the way it ought to be. We feel the same thing they felt in Isaiah. It's not all as it should be. God says... Through my son and in my son, I will make all things right and whole and complete. And there will be no anxiety and no relational conflict. You'll be right with God and you'll be right with others. That's what our world is desperate for. And then there's a little piece of Isaiah 9, 6 that you might not be familiar with. I don't have it up there. I just want you to hear it. It says this. This is Isaiah promising that what humans really need is Christmas. What you need is that child. You need that gift. Look at it differently than you've ever looked at it. And then he says this to me, and this is what, this really stood out to me, and I'll I'll just leave you with this. He says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, zeal is a really intense longing. This is a longing on the part of God to be that light in the life of human beings. It's a desire that we equate with love. If you, if you think about love the way we all kind of want, there's a, uh, there's a component of love that has a jealousy to it. It's a, it's a passion. It's, you want it to be exclusive. That's kind of what this is. It's a component of true love. You want to have an exclusive place in a person's heart. 
and you'll stop at nothing to have it. Nothing will deter God to bring that about. To bring about what he was talking about will take no small sacrifice on his part to enter the human dilemma, problem, and solve it at great sacrifice to himself. So Christmas is God's brilliant, powerful, all-out, no-holds-barred act of love toward us. That, Hillside, is the highest religious thought you can ever have. There is no other religion in the world that comes in close to having a God who loves you and would give himself on your behalf and not ask you to solve the problem. You, you won't read it, you won't hear it, you won't see it anywhere else. Isaiah 9-6 is the smartest, wisest, highest religious thought you can ever possess. God came and did it for you. So I would ask you today to stop looking for good, sound wisdom and solid advice if you're looking for it. Now, if you are looking for it, here's the best advice I can give you. Surrender your life to Jesus Christ. There's a moment in the Gospel of Luke when Jesus is talking to a crowd like this and they're wanting something from him they don't seem to see. And he says, you know, I remember back, way back when, when the smartest man who ever lived, Solomon. Our people used to come from all over to hear from him. And they're sort of insinuating, man, we wish you were as smart as Solomon was because we need some good info right now. And Jesus says this to them, a greater than Solomon is here. I am greater than Solomon. It's not just another tidbit that you need. It's a savior you need, and I have come to be it. That's what Christmas is. So more important than you figuring out how you're going to get through the next 24 hours, which, by the way, I don't know how you're going to do it. You don't know how you're going to do it. It'll be a miracle. That's right. Sunday morning, my, or, ah, Sunday morning will be a miracle. Listen, more important than figuring anything else out is that you receive the gift of my son and my prayer is that this Christmas, your night, will have a morning, a real morning, a dawn. Father, drive this thought home into our hearts. Is it possible that we have missed what is really being offered to us at Christmas. And if it is, open our eyes and ears to it today. In Jesus' name.